Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. All right. Well, guys, it, uh, you might not notice this today, but uh, did you know it was the time change? Did anyone not notice that it was the time change? You just wondered why you feel a little more rested today? And uh, all of a sudden, you're like, that's why. That's why I feel a little bit fresher. How many people like this time change, the fallback one, the extra hour one? Anyone like me, you love the spring forward one? I just love getting to tomorrow even a little bit faster. It's just great. Anybody, just me and Christian Laurel, we're the only ones. Well, here we are. I, I, I do love it in the mornings, but you know you need to brace yourself. Tonight, it's going to get dark a little bit earlier. Okay? You need to be ready for that. And uh, embrace yourself, maybe maybe make yourself some hot apple cider or something, because it's starting to feel a little bit like that season. How many people already have uh, Christmas music playing in your house? Okay. Does anybody already have a Christmas tree in your house? You already have a Christmas tree in your house. Amazing. Why not stretch the season out just a little bit longer? How many people plan to be... Uh, in the city of Vancouver, like in and around this area over Christmas? Throw your hand up in the air if that's you. Awesome. You plan to be around here over Christmas? How many people plan to be somewhere else over Christmas? Can you wave at me? Okay, we got lots of people who've got roots or connections somewhere else. Anyone plan to be somewhere warm for Christmas? Wave at you. You're going to be somewhere warm? Come on. That's amazing. Anybody here kind of hopeful that, uh, that, that you might just get to see a little bit of snow? At Christmas? Yep, nine people. Okay, this is about what I figured. About nine people are excited for snow. Amazing. You worked? Okay, ten. Okay, ten. Okay, ten. I'll add you to the number. Ten. May may the record show there was ten, not nine. Hey, I'm excited today. We're we're beginning in a a new series. As uh, as you've heard, a new series called Altars. And uh, the reason that we would be taking some time to look at this particular symbol or imagery in Scripture is that I was praying about this time of year uh, months and months ago. So at the end of the spring, I was trying to pray and prepare and plan, and our plan at that point was we're going to keep on just meeting online all summer long, and we're just praying and believing that we might be able to be back together in some sort of group uh, as the fall approaches. And then that week, we heard, no, no, you can get together this week. And so we scrambled Thank you for those of you who showed up in Railtown as we were scrambling around just trying to be in one place at one time, literally in one place, including kids who were meeting under a tent in the same room. And uh, but, but for this particular season, for this November season, I felt so strong that, that God was speaking to our church about building an altar, building an altar. Little did I know we'd be meeting in a room like this. Or that this would be the exact uh, preparation of how the room would be set up. Uh, we didn't even have this, the thought of being in a place regularly on our radar at that point. But yet I, I knew this really clear kind of word, God saying it's time to build an altar, to build an altar. Now, as Jennifer was saying, it's kind of maybe a foreign symbol for some of us. But I, I'm going to do my best over these next few weeks to try to highlight the symbol. We will not. Uh, we have no plans of actually saying, everyone bring a rock next week and we're going to pile them up and that's going to be all, our altar. No, no specific plans around that. Not a physical 
uh, edifice. But, but we are going to talk around the symbolism of an altar. And I'm believing today and praying that God would use these next few weeks to actually kind of define a new season in my life and in your life. I believe that there is a, a new season for you, a new season for your family, a new season for your relationships. For those of you who are connected to business, I, I will be praying that there's a new season for your business, something new, a freshness to it. Uh, I was reading the book of Ecclesiastes, the, the list, it says there's a time for, uh, for, for war and a time for peace. There's a time for waking and a time for sleeping, a time for, for mourning, a time for tea, uh, laughter, and all, all and on. And it's like in his time, God makes all things beautiful. And I just want to prophesy today that there is beauty coming to your next season. I, I really do believe that, and uh, I don't know exactly how that will play out in your life, but I believe God wants to work out beauty in your life. And there is a transitory uh, thing that takes place so frequently in the Bible of the building of an altar that ushers in a new season. And so I want to speak about that today. Can I pray for you? And uh, pray if you would, can you pray for me, okay? Let's pray. Jesus. We believe in these next few moments that you'd speak to us through your word. We didn't come today to be entertained. We didn't come today to, to tick a box and say, I just, yeah, I did it. We actually would love to be challenged and transformed. As I ask today that as I open the words of Scripture, you would do just that, that the words that are, are just my own ideas would quickly be forgotten and that the enduring, powerful, life-giving word of Scripture would reside deep in our heart, like a seed that's planted deep, that in season bears incredible fruit. We ask for this in your name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Today I want to want to teach you what will be, for, uh, for some of you, a new word. It's not that important. If you, if you don't remember it, it'll probably never show up on a Scantron anywhere. There won't be any, any uh, multiple choice question where you need to know this. But the word is hermeneutics. Can someone say hermeneutics? Hermeneutics, it's the science of interpretation. It's the science of translation, the study of Scripture to say, well, I know what it says here, and I know what it, it might mean here. How do you apply it to, to, to my life? Whenever I open the Scripture or any of our, our pastors or leaders communicate Scripture, we are engaging either soundly or unsoundly in the process of hermeneutics, of saying this timeless, ageless word means something today. What did it mean then and what does it mean now? And one of the principles of good hermeneutic is to not just grab a word somewhere in Scripture and say, ooh, I like that word. Let's talk about that for a while. I was speaking the other day with, with a, a pastor, a preacher, and we were talking about, about some of the, the content he's preaching. And he said, you know what? I don't know that I'm doing much study. I just kind of find words that I like. I'm like, I could riff on that a little bit. He's like, I think I got to get back to some basics. I got to get back to some study. How many, how many know that, that I would rather get something that God's actually trying to communicate than something that's tweetable? Okay, I don't know if there'll be anything tweetable for anyone who even uses Twitter. I don't know if there'll be anything TikTokable about uh, today. It might not be much TikTokery taking place in this place, but, but I do want to bring some sound hermeneutic, okay? And one of the principles of hermeneutic, a, a solid interpretation, is to look at kind of everywhere in Scripture that you would see a concept re-arise. And, and those concepts that you're looking at, like, man, it just keeps on coming up. I would tend to say, for one reason or another, are of greater importance potentially to what God is speaking to us about. 
And then there are, are some things that's like one fleeting passage, and it passes, and like, well, that's kind of cool, but it doesn't seem, I, I don't know how it connects. I got to do a little more homework. Well, this word altar is actually used 433 times in, in the Bible. It's a pretty frequent uh, comment, conversation piece, and, and a symbol, and uh, used in a time where there would have been just normalness to it. That it was just kind of the thing you did. So w- when you said, hey, and then we built an altar, like, oh, cool, I get what you're saying. Again, as Jennifer was saying, in our context and culture, it might not be an actual symbol that we use all that often, so we're going to need to do a little bit of work. And one of the, the principles of good hermeneutic is to look at the place that something's mentioned first. And there's a, a, a principle of first mention that it seems to be often when the Bible mentions something for the first time, it's trying to establish a precedent going forward. For instance, the first mention of humanity in Scripture is God reaching down and picking up dirt from the earth he could, had created and forming it into a man, breathing his life into it and saying, oh, that's a man. Literally, you have a theological foundation to, to say that all men are dirtbags. For real. It's just, it's the first mention of, of mankind in Scripture. We, that, like, we came from dirt. In fact, the word human, it, it comes from the Latin word humus, which means dirt. It's also the same word that we derive the word humility from. Our best natural state as humanity is to acknowledge in humility that apart from the, the breath of God in our life, we're just dirt. Like, like, like sometimes we're, we're trying to polish up dirt. And if not for God, we got nothing. And so when Jesus says that, that apart from me, you can do nothing, he's making reference. And everyone's going, well, yeah, I guess we've always sort of known that. When the Apostle Paul says that, that we're, our lives are like broken cracked vessels. We're like clay jars, but we contain treasure inside of us. He's making a a little tip of the hat, a little reference to, remember, like from the very beginning, God got up close and personal, and he made a lasting first impression with his hands forming our very lives, breathing his life into us. So if I call us clay pots, we shouldn't be insulted. We've always known that that apart from God, the beauty in our life is pretty devoid. It's a first mention. It's the first time it comes up. In fact, the first mention of time, space, and matter comes in in, in verse 1 of Scripture, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, the beginning of time, in the beginning, God created the heavens. That that is uh, a space and the earth. That's matter. So you see time, space, and matter, all three dimensions in that way, breathe in one moment. And God spoke, and there was. First mentions matter. So instead of looking at 433 different references, imagine if I said, so today, in order to be very thorough, we're going to have a 433-point sermon. Get out your notebook, and uh, hope you brought an extra. Today, instead, I just want to look at the first reference, the first mention of altars. And I believe in doing so, it'll sort of establish maybe a groundwork for us over the next few weeks. Now, I know, I understand, not everyone comes to church every week. I would love it if you did. We would make space for you too. But I get that life is complex. In fact, that's one of the reasons we continue to have church that meets online as well. And so maybe you're here today and say, man, I'm out of town next week. You don't have to miss out. You can, you can catch church at home, online, wherever you are. And, and it maybe, you know, at some point you, you, you develop a bit of a cough and you go, during this time, I don't think I should be out in public with a cough. We thank you for that. That's great. We, we, you don't want to be awkward. We don't want to have to be awkward. We don't want to be the people who cringe from it. That's why you can just do church at home that way and stay 
connected in this manner. But I understand you might miss some portion of this, though I still want to set a good groundwork. A good groundwork so when you hear or see the concept of altars, you're like, I I get kind of where that's going. So the first reference to an altar in Scripture comes in Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, you can check that up. Turn there in your Bible right now. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. And this takes place in the life of a man named Noah. Now, Noah is one of about 17 different Old Testament patriarchs or leaders who had a moment where they established a relational connection with God in the form of building of an altar, this act of altar building. But Noah's the first. And, and this altar that was built in, in Genesis 8 and 20, it, it comes right after uh, a season in the ark. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives were the only people in humanity upon an ark. And on that ark was a, a pair of every living creature representing each of the uh, different species of animals. This is an incredible story early on in the narrative of Scripture where God speaks to someone by grace and says, I, I just want, I want you to know that my hand's upon your life, and I'm asking you for some pretty radical steps of obedience. You just need to know this, that God's hand on your life doesn't necessarily mean easy street. God's hand on your life doesn't necessarily mean that you just have like a force field around you, you just do your thing. God's hand on your life often leads towards some radical steps of obedience. In fact, the person beside you and in front of you and sitting, sitting, you know, three rows down, they probably have a radical step of obedience that God will lead them into. Or maybe they're in the midst of it right now. For Noah, his radical step of obedience, God said, I just want, want to let you know that there's a time coming where I'm going to flood the earth. And in order for me to exercise the grace I have towards humanity, I want you to prepare, build a boat. And Noah's like, I don't know that word boat. It's a new word to me, God. Can you explain? He goes, yeah, big floating thing. Why would anything need to float? Well, I'm going to send rain. What's rain? Again, there's like first mentions of all these concepts. At that point, the Bible said there had been no rain. The earth was sustained through dew. Probably science would say that there was a a much thicker ozone layer, and it was like a greenhouse experience on planet Earth. But God said, I'm about to break that, and water will come from above and below, and it's going to flood the earth. You need to prepare. So Noah steps out in faith, and and what the Bible says is for about 100 years, he was in the long DIY project of building a boat with his sons. Has anyone ever, ever done a project, like a family project? You don't need to answer this part of the question, but has anyone ever done one that never actually finished? The guys, we're going to do this, and then it just never finished. Has anyone ever started a project that, that your own personal passion project, and you're just trying to convince yourself and the people around you, like, no, no, I'm still going to get to that. Yeah, yeah. I'm still, I'm still releasing that album one day. Yeah, I just got to find the cassette tapes that I, 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 you know, recorded the first part on. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting to it. Well, for Noah, he had to persist through seasons and decades and tell his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, okay, guys, bring some more wood. We're going to have to go get some more. The Bible uh, says that God spoke really specifically on what obedience would look like. Prepare it in this way. Make it this long, this high, and, and this wide, and, and, and take gopher wood, a particular type of wood, and, and put pitch on the inside and out and prepare. And then God, at the right time, sends animals, and they come fill it up, and then the rain begins to fall. And, uh, and they're spared, and God exercises grace upon their life. 
and for what span many months, they're just floating. Anyone ever been seasick before? Oh, man, for months they're floating. Anyone ever been around livestock? So for months there's, they're around seasick livestock. Okay, this was maybe not the greatest, most romantic cruise line that's ever happened. I heard recently the world's longest cruise is about to, to take off, I think in 2022, and it's going to span something like nine months and go to 156 different cities. Could be fun. It's funny. I'm, I, I just I think a little different, I think. I, I thought, I'm like, man, I wonder if anyone's going to go plant a church on that, that cruise ship. Lord, here I am, send me, you know. You're just going to plant a location on the high seas. Well, they were on a cruise ship for months with seasick crocodiles. Like the, the, the lyric from the, the Grinch, I would rather be with a seasick crocodile. That's, that's Noah's ex- experience. And at the end of that time, the, the boat comes to rest upon a mountaintop. And uh, they send out a dove, and the dove returns with a branch of an olive tree and indicating, because they, they only had a window looking upwards, no windows to the side, no portholes through this boat, indicating that there was dry land somewhere. And they took it as a symbol and a sign of, of God's grace upon their life. They opened the doors, and they came forward. And into that context, we read this, uh, Genesis chapter 8, and verse 20. It says, Now Noah built an altar to the Lord. Can someone say altar? Oh, come on. Can we all say altar? Noah builds an altar to the Lord, and he took some of the clean animals and the clean birds, and he sacrificed burnt offerings on that altar. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and he said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of the humans, even though their every inclination is evil from childhood. Man, God's reading our mail right here. It says, never again will I destroy all living creatures and as I have done now, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Then the Lord blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. This little story is the first mention of altar. Wrapped right in there is a promise that, that a new season's coming. Did you catch that? He said, from this point forward, there will always be hot and then cold. There will always be springtime and then harvest. There will always be day and then night. You might feel like you're stuck in a long night season, but the daytime is coming. You might feel like you've gone through a long winter of the soul, but springtime is coming and so too will harvest. It's the faithfulness and the promise of God. But in this very story, we see uh, four different things, I believe, that an altar represents. And if we're going to look anywhere in Scripture where it says an altar, we see these things playing out. The first one, if you like to take notes, is an altar is a place of remembrance. An altar is a place to pause and remember. Now, Noah is remembering in this moment the, the faithfulness of God to see them through. He's pausing, and instead of going on to the next project, imagine if he gets up, he's like, well, boys, time to build something else. Like, Dad, we have just gone through a 100-year DIY project and then been stuck with water buffaloes for the last few months. Can we just celebrate for a moment? There's some of us in this room, we're not so good at stopping to celebrate uh, the season we've come through and we've gotten through because we're just like, well, next, here we go. It's probably going to get harder from here. But, but, but when you build an altar, you pause and remember the mercy of God. Now, now he had a choice. What aspect of what I've just walked through should I remember? The seasickness 
or the fact that I'm still alive. The hard work and the hard labor or the fact that God has, has protected me and seen me through. And don't we always have that choice as well? What am I going to look at right now? What am I going to give my focus to right now? What am I going to give my attention to right now? In, in this story, it is remembrance of mercy. It's remembrance of faithfulness. So first thing we see play out is that it, uh, an altar is a place of remembrance. So every time you see it in Scripture, and every time you maybe even feel in your own heart like God's asking you to pause for a minute, he's, his expectation would be that there's remembrance involved. Not anxiety. Not you just need, you need to stop and pause and get yourself super anxious for what's next. Of course God would never say that, but we still sometimes do it. Instead, he's saying pause and remember. Pause and remember. The second thing we see at an altar is that an altar is a place of sacrifice. An altar is a place that, that not only we pause to remember, but we also pause to sacrifice. When, when I sensed in, in my spirit that God was saying it's time for a vivid church to build an altar, yes, it's time to remember, but it's also time to sacrifice. And how exactly do we sacrifice? Well, we sacrifice according to God's expectations. I'm grateful for that because some of us would come up with crazy ways to try to show that we care. Any married people in the room? Isn't it crazy how your spouse comes up with the wildest ways to show you they love you? And some of them just don't connect? I know I do. But I've been working so hard. I didn't want you to work hard. Just, just hang out at home. Let's spend some time together. Isn't that funny? But think of all the gifts. I don't like gifts. I just want a hug. We, we come up sometimes with, with things that don't actually connect. And if God is a person to be served, not just an impersonal force that's floating out somewhere just shooting out karma rays, if God is knowable, then, then he deserves to express how he'd like to be talked to. You know, that's true of all of us that we give people permission to speak to us the way that we'd like to, to speak, that's a different message. But God says, here's how I want to be spoken to. Specifically, in the form of sacrifice, I don't want your leftovers. I don't want your, your garbage. I want your first, and I want your best. In that time and context, it was clean animals. There were certain animals that God said, that, that I like, that not so much. You can bring a lamb... That, that is without defect because it represents a lot of value. Don't go catch an iguana and throw it up on this altar. That would not, 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 not sound like sacrifice to me. I like, you know, a dove that is clean, but don't just bring some common pig up here. You might like the smell of bacon, but God's like, it's just not my thing in, in being honored this way. I want your first and I want your best. God deserves as a person to express how he'd like to be connected with. And sometimes we just do crazy things. To try, God, I'm going to show you how much I care. I'm not going to rest anymore. I'm just going to work for you. I'm going to burn out for you, Lord. And he's like, well, I didn't ask you to do that. So no thanks. You know, there, there was an early missionary, I'm forgetting the name right now, who, who came and, and in the process of, of people from Europe coming to North America, this guy's goal and vision was, I am going to burn out for Jesus. He stated that in reaching indigenous people. And he died at like 28. I wish 
that he had had a more long-term perspective, there maybe would have been better and more effective reaching of the people that he had a heart to meet. But his thought was, God, I'm going to just burn up for you. I'll go so hard and then I'll drop dead just because I love you. And God's like, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for obedience, not your own self-contrived sacrifice. Sometimes we do that. We try to overcompensate for, for like areas in our life with no integrity. But, but God, I'm going to be super passionate. Next time you catch me in a worship service, I'm going to be the loudest guy there. Oh, my hands will be raised. Oh, I'll be jumping. Of course, there's this thing that you just asked me to be honest. That's not my thing, God. I'm not an honesty guy, but I'm a loud, I'm a loud worship guy. Like we, we can overcompensate. I love loud worshipers. I have a loud voice. I have a hard time quietly worshiping, so I'm with you. But, but we can't just, you know, uh, cover up one thing with another. It's just not what God wants. So you see specifically here Noah, he sacrifices clean animals. It's specified for a reason because it matters that we worship God in the way that he wants to be worshipped. Jesus said this, a true worshiper worships me in spirit and in truth. They actually walk out in the truth. They're not putting on airs. They're not faking it. There's an actual authenticity to their worship. That's what true worship looks like. In the book of James, it goes so far to say this true worship is not contained to what happens for three to four songs on a Sunday morning or whenever, you know, you happen to turn past a Christian radio station. True worship is actually acted out in the way we serve others, the way we, we look for the least of these and and go out of our way to serve them. This is the way God wants to be worshipped. So an altar is not only a place for remembrance, it's a place for sacrifice. And sacrifice is according to what God has asked us. Make sense? Three, we see this, that, that an altar is a place for intimacy. An altar is a place where you could expect to connect with God. You could expect to have a relational connection with God. In fact, did you see in this story, it says the aroma reached God, and, and it, it affected his heart. Did you catch that? Check it out. In verse 21, it says this, the Lord smelled this pleasing aroma. It's not that he smelled lamb chops and went, mm, I'm hungry. He, spelt, he smelt the aroma of obedience. And it says this, that in smelling this aroma, he said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground. God, you have the opportunity to affect the heart of God. That gets me pretty excited. God, the creator and sustainer of all things, actually opens himself up relationally to be affected by you and I. Isn't that cool? You, there, there are some people, like truly, just couldn't affect me if they tried. Because I just don't care. <laughs> be honest, I just don't care at all. Think what you want to think. It doesn't matter to me at all. And then there are people that I let close that could crush me with a word. That could crush me with, with, with a, a sideways glance. Because I've allowed them to be close. God has allowed us to be close enough that we can actually affect his heart. And we do so through obedience. In the book of Philippians, it says this, God has a plan for our life. And, and it's the Greek word eudokia, which means good pleasure. God's got this good plan for our life. It's, it's a great plan. And it actually excites him. When he thinks of my life and yours, he's like, oh, it's going to get so good. They have no idea what I have in store for them. In fact, the Bible says all throughout, reference over and over, you see it in Isaiah no eye has even seen, no ear has even heard what God has in store for those who love him. Like God's got this incredible plan, and he's allowed us to be close enough that we affect his emotions, that there's actually like a moment of connection. Before you walked into this room today, that's why I was praying. 
you know, as we worship God, we want to we want to connect with you. We want to meet with you. We want to experience your your presence. I was thinking of this this picture. Imagine being in a party and there's some loud talkers. You know the loud talker in a party? How many people you're the loud talker in a party? Man, every story, every story has another chapter and you know all of them, right? You can just keep that thing moving. Man, you'll work in the room. And then there's someone in the room who's just kind of quietly sitting there. And unless addressed, they will quietly sit there through the whole party. And then the party will be over and it's time to go. But, but if you would stop and pause and, and, and draw them in. Hey, everyone, this is Daniel. You might not know Daniel. He's awesome. Hey, let's say hi to Daniel right here. What, what, what takes place is Daniel steps in to the room. He's not only present, but he, he's able to present himself. And I feel like when we build an altar, we are saying to the Spirit of God, I, I acknowledge that you're already here, but I actually want to hear from you. I actually want to receive, receive from you. So, of course, I remember what you've done, but I also, you know, have sacrificed in the way you wanted me. And I expect that there will be connection. I expect that we're going to connect in this way. Noah moves the heart of God. And then the fourth thing that takes place, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, is, is an altar is a place for revelation. An altar is a place where God begins to speak about what's next. At this altar, he speaks a promise, but he also speaks a new uh, modus operandi. He says, for the last 100 years, your obedience step has been boat building, but now I'm shifting your life work. I'm shifting the plan for your life towards multiplication. It's time now to be fruitful and to multiply, fill the earth. He shifts their purpose. The reason I get excited about building an altar is I believe God is bringing us into a new season. He's bringing us into something new. Amazing that, that we've gotten through what we've gotten through. But imagine if that was just the end of the story. Well, now I'm here. Now I'm here. You know, I think of Shade and Tunji. You got through singleness. You did it. But now you get all, all the good stuff that's still coming. There's a shift that takes place on that wedding day where you say, well, now we're building a life. This is not the finish line. This is the starting line. This is the beginning of something new. An altar, much like a, you, when you come to the altar at a wedding and exchange a ring and exchange a vow and you seal it with a kiss, it's now the end of one season, but it's the beginning of something new. And in the same manner for Noah, it's like, okay, the the boat building season is over. We're never building another boat. Thank you, God, for seeing us through that boat. But we don't have to do that anymore. They sacrifice according to what he's asking. It affects God's heart. He goes, okay, here's here's what you do now. Here's what's next. I'd love to hear what's next. I'd love to know what's next. I'd love to know what God has in store. You know the Bible says this, that God shares the secrets of his covenant to those who fear him. God has secrets. Do you love knowing a good secret? My son Arrow loves a secret so much that he shares it before he's even heard the rest of the sentence. I'm like, hey, Arrow, tomorrow I'm going to make a roast beef dinner with, and before I finish, he's running, hey, guys, guys, guess what? Something you didn't know. Tomorrow we're having roast beef, and then he just fills in the blank. It's like, Arrow, you need to build an altar here, bro. You need to just pause for a minute and hear the rest of the story. For some of us, we're like, you know, God loves us. Okay, hey, everyone, you need to know God loves us. But he also has a plan for your life. He wants to tell you what it is. He wants to reveal it to you. And so there's something about an altar, a place where you, you pause and receive new revelation. If you have your Bible, turn, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. That was my intro. Now I'm going to preach my message, okay? But for real, it'll be real quick. 
Romans chapter 12. Turn there with me. Because you will see now a New Testament reference to the, the picture of an altar and how it plays out in our life that references all these four things. These same four things are present when the Apostle Paul calls us in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, to, to place our lives on the altar. He says this, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me show you real quick. An altar. It's a place of remembering. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy. Do you know what what, what you look at gets the, the best of your attention? He goes, stop looking at the pain. Stop looking at the cost. Stop looking at, at, at the chaos you came through. You're here because of the mercy of God. Put your attention on God's mercy. I want to challenge us as a church. Let's get our, get our eyes on the mercy of God. What is mercy? Great question. Mercy is when you deserve something worse than you get. When you deserve something terrible, but it doesn't happen. That's mercy. Yesterday, I was, I was getting ready for, for today, and we... We, we preach our service online early. So I was upstairs putting some things away, and on my way down, my, down the stairs, I dropped my phone, and it hit every stair on the way down. Pop, 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 pop. And, and Sam was here with me. I'm like, well, that's awesome because I know exactly what to expect. I know exactly what I deserve. I should never have put my phone in that pocket. I'm walking down metal stairs. Why did I put it in the front of my hoodie? I do not know. But, but I got to the bottom. Sam rushed down before. What a great friend. He goes, okay, screen's good. I'm like, whoo, screen's good. Back's good. Woo, back's good. Just a little scuff. Just a little scuff mark. It's mercy. I deserved a shattered screen, but I only got a scuff. If I'm not careful, I'm like, oh, my phone doesn't look new anymore. It's got a scuff mark. I hate this phone. But every time I open, I'm like, whoo, my screen's still good. We have a choice to make. What do we focus on? What do we focus on? The hardship or the mercy? We're here. We got through. Man, I, it was so hard being betrayed by friends. But guess what? You're still here. And so what are you going to look at? The pain or the, the mercy? Paul says it would be better for us if we get a vision for mercy because it leads us towards a, a more sound result. Bitterness actually just grows up and makes us sick. And when we're speaking of the mercy of God, we need to recognize this, that his mercy represents his power. If not for power, he can't extend mercy. The other day I was walking down a street over here, and there was somebody giving out a ticket. And, they, you know, those little yellow tickets, and they were punching it up, and they put it in the, in the uh, windshield wiper of someone else's car. And as I was walking by, I'm like, man, I feel bad for that person right now. But, but I, I only feel pity. There's nothing I can actually do. It's just empty pity. Like, like I could, I suppose, wait around until they got there, and then when they got there, it's just a, a great sign of, uh, guess what? I take this ticket and I rip it up. It's been torn. But I don't have the authority to cancel their ticket. I don't have the authority to do so. It's not mine. I, I can't. God doesn't just feel empty pity towards us. He has power towards us. 
And the Bible says this in the book of Lamentations that his mercies are new every morning. When you woke up this morning just a little more rested thanks to the time change, God chose you. He picked you. Say, I love you. You're mine. And he poured out mercy on your life. And his mercy, the Bible says in the book of James, triumphs over judgment. So you don't get what you deserve. You're not treated according to what your sins deserve because of the mercy of God. we got to get our eyes fixed on the mercy of God. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, says this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Guess what? God doesn't want lambs anymore. God doesn't want doves anymore. He just wants your life. Because Jesus has once and for all become the, the only sacrifice we will ever need. And when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you have become the sacrifice that is fitting to God. That's it. That's all. God only wants you. I'm grateful that he's not asking for something I don't, I don't have the ability to give. I'm grateful God's not asking for talent because I don't have much of that. I'm grateful God doesn't ask me for a certain number of money that I can't reach deep and, and, and come up with. God just wants my life. It's a sacrifice according to what he's asking for. That's all God wants. He doesn't want what's in your neighbor's life. He just wants you. He wants your life. Therefore, in view of God's mercy with our eyes on the right thing. Let's offer our lives as a living sacrifice. We're remembering. We're sacrificing. And then it says this. This is what true worship is like. This is where that connection comes to truly and properly worship God. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world. The pattern of this world that would say, you're your own God. Your preference is all that matters. It's not truth. Instead, get a new thought. Get a new thought. And when you get transformed by renewing of your mind, it actually draws you nearer to God. I just fear we've been lied to. What you want is exactly what you deserve. No, it's not. Like we say that to people to make them feel good. Hey, you deserve it all. No, we deserve to be a shattered up screen. Because of the grace of God, there's only a couple scuff marks on us. So when we worship, we get a, this new idea. It's positioning us for blessing. Remember being in school when, when the gym teacher comes in and they're like, okay, we're going to make two teams, and you know the way they're going to make them. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. And so you very quickly find your best friend and say, stand over there. You very quickly find the kid you don't want to play with. You're like, hey, bro, come stand right here, right close. I love you, man. And if you're really smart at it, you just count by two. Two, four, six. Yeah, I'm good here. Don't want to be too obvious, right? You end up with a stacked team of the smarter kids. They've just hacked the system. There's this poor kid who's like, I was always on the worst team. You just didn't learn how to count by twos. That's it. Well, when we worship God, we position ourselves. We put ourselves in a place for the greatest blessing. When we worship him. So get a new thought. And then it says this, then you will know and you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Revelation comes from the turning of our hearts towards the goodness of God. Getting our eyes off ourselves. Oh, man. For some, our focus has been only on the cost of the sacrifice. Ooh, given my whole life, that's a lot. God, you're asking for a lot. I don't know if it's worth it. Just take your eyes off the sacrifice. Put it on his mercy. And you will find that the sacrifice is well worth it. So we remember and we sacrifice experiencing God's intimacy, but also his revelation. I'd love to pray for you today. Across the room, would you bow your heads? Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Father, I pray today very specifically for every person who can hear my voice right now, whether they're in the room or they're listening later on a podcast. 
I pray, God, right here, right now, give us eyes to see your mercy. Give us a new focal point to give our attention to. Off of the pain, off of the sacrifice, off of what could have been, the wouldas, the couldas, the shouldas. Instead, we're, we're grateful for your mercy. Lord, today, specifically, I pray that you give us the courage to sacrifice and to, to connect with you the way you want to, through obedience, through obedience to what you're calling us to, not some grand gesture, but just simple obedience. I thank you, Lord, that we can anticipate intimacy today. And I thank you that you're meeting with us. I, I sense your presence in this room. I really do, but I'm grateful that you go before us. So when we get in our cars and we jump on the SkyTrain, you're going before us. You're still with us. That if you're Lord of our life, then you're present in our home. You're present in our workplace. You're there with us in our university campus. You're there with us in our neighborhood. And I'm asking God courageously today, speak to our hearts, if you would. Give us revelation for what's next. I know as the pastor of this church, you've been speaking to my heart about what's next for us. But we all have the ability to hear your voice. You're always speaking. And so I pray that we'd have ears to hear what you're speaking to us, to me as your son, to, to your daughters in this room, to the, the ones whose hearts you dearly love. Your word says that you share secrets with those who would prioritize your lordship in our life. And so speak to us today. Give us the courage of conviction to follow through. Across the room with eyes closed and heads bowed, we're about to sing that song again, but I do want to ask one more question. With no one looking around, nobody distracted. If you're here today and you've never offered your life as a sacrifice to God, saying yes to his kindness, yes to his mercy and forgiveness, right now is your moment. Truly, right now, right here. You can draw near to God, and the Bible promises that God would draw near to you as well. So no one looking around, eyes are closed, heads are bowed. If you say, that's me, I need to draw near to God today. For the very first time, I need to come into a relationship with him. Or perhaps you've been wandering, and today you're like, i got to come back into alignment with, with that relationship and make it the most important thing in my life. If that's you today, can I pray with you? Just raise your hand if you would. I want to pray with you. No one else is looking around. Nobody's going to embarrass you. This is a personal moment. I just want to give you some leadership, help you grow in your faith in this moment. Looking around the room, don't want to miss anybody. Just wave at me so I can see you. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, let's pray together. Across the room, would you join us as we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, you can speak it out. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for calling me. Today, I'm answering your call. I'm saying yes to your gift of grace. I'm sorry for my sin. I need your mercy in my life. And I receive it. I say you're Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And God, right now, as we pray a prayer like this, we've now positioned ourselves to hear from you. Again, give us the courage of conviction to follow. Where you lead us, we will follow. Thank you for a new season. Thank you for a new day. Day of remembrance of sacrifice, of intimacy, and of revelation in your name. Come on, let's sing this together wherever you are. If you'd stand up, we're just going to repeat this song simply this morning, this afternoon, before I dismiss us. Let's sing it out together. 
We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.